The Lord is with us like a dread champion. 
Therefore, our persecutors will stumble and not prevail. Amen. Walk through it. Keep going. Walk through it. Yes, it is dark and it is very narrow. Walk through it. So be strong and courageous. Do not panic and do not be afraid. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you and he will neither fail nor abandon you.
with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? On this day and every day, God puts on my heart to pray for the 3,000 children that lose their lives a day by their mothers. And for all the mothers and children who are no longer together because of a multitude of reasons, whether it be babies that you've lost during miscarriages like myself or babies that you lose during divorce court and family court. Honestly, the song that we sang at the beginning of church was so powerful because the thing about that song, people need to realize that, yes, God is victorious, and I always believed I would get my children back, and in fact, I did, but it took me 10 years, and it took me 10 years of federal prison for my son. We need to pray for all the families and children out here that are separated for whatever reason and believe that God is victorious over all of us. Amen.
life there, that they would know you. That there would be people in their lives to introduce them to you, like I have. I just declare life over those children. And I thank you, God, for reunions with their families when they have them. And even reunions with families that are new. You work all things out for our good. And that's the truth. Father, I speak over every mother that is here, every mother that is in this nation. That, Father, even those that are wayward, that they would be drawn back to you, Father, so that their children would be brought up in the admonition of you. Father, I pray that your principles rules in this nation, Father, that the senseless murder of millions of babies will be put to a halt. And I pray for every mother, Father, that their heart would be drawn to you. Knowing that, Father, the children are placed in your hands. And that if they only put their faith and their trust in you, that those children would be drawn back to you, Father. Protect our children. Protect our children in the schools from the many things that are being released and taught in our educational system. Protect our children and give the parents the boldness and the courage to speak up for their children, in protection of their children, for the rights of their children, and for their rights to speak and to voice those concerns. Father, we thank you that you are the final authority.
Thank you, Lord. I'm, we're reminded of your first commandment with promise to honor your father and mother. They can be well with us. And we can live long, prosper. But because before the government among men, there's the government of family. There's this miracle of family. We take time today to honor mothers, and I thank you that we can see that this is more than just a, a physical thing, but it's also a spiritual thing, that it's a covenant thing, that it's a, just such a miraculous thing. And I pray for every mother under the sound of my voice that there just be this refreshing, this renewal, this quick quickening that you are equipped. You are more than enough. You are the imparter of, of individual worth to your children. And I pray for the children that there will be this appreciation and this awareness and this eye-opening, no matter how old they are, no matter how long they've been out of the nest, that they begin to value motherhood and they'll begin not only the person that's the mother, but the office that we can carry the victory of Christ in this thing called parenting. And I pray for that victory today for mothers in Jesus' name. Amen.
else have anything, something that the Lord's put on your heart, sharing with you, you have not spoken out yet. elaborate just a little bit on um, the word I had earlier about walk through it because I had a picture at the same time that I had these words and uh, the picture was Hezekiah's tunnel Um, I didn't even know Hezekiah's tunnel existed until I went to Israel and I certainly didn't know you can walk through it um, but you can and I'll never do it again but I'm glad I did it the first time because um, they ch- they chiseled um, through the rock underground this very narrow, and they actually had two teams at one at each end, and you can tell in the middle because one is a little higher than the other, but they actually met in the middle, and they built this this tunnel because when they were under siege and for water and such, but you can still walk through it today. In um, anybody claustrophobic at all? Anybody have claustrophobia? Yeah. If you go to Israel, don't walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. I don't have um, claustrophobia, but I had definitely had sensations of it. So I know what it feels like when I was in, when you're in this. And for somebody my size and height and broad shoulders, I had to walk this way a lot of the time, and I had to duck a lot of the time. And you're walking in water all of the time, and sometimes it's waist high. And so, um, and this thing went on and on and on, and um, and so it's and it's dark in there, and it's wet in there, and it's narrow in there, and you're wondering where's the end? <laughs> I want the end, and I was glad that we our team was the first and not the last, and um, and then I thought, you know what, dear Lord, if if somebody has a medical emergency in here, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to have to trust the Lord and uh, because no med- medical team's getting down there to get somebody out. You, you just There's no way, you know, uh, to get through a crowd of people either. So anyway, I, I, you know, if you relate to uh, at, at times or even right now that you're walking through a dark place or it's a very narrow place and it feels like maybe things are closing in, that's the sensation that I was getting and I wanted to give that backstory. And I felt like the Lord just said, keep going, just keep walking, keep pursuing, keep going, and don't stop. And you know, um, with walking with the Lord, there, you really never can fail, except when you give up. It's really the only time when you stop, when you give up doing what God has told you to do. That's, that's where failure comes right there. Because the only way I know how God defines success, it's not by great accomplishments, trophies, or diplomas on the wall. It's faithfulness. It's being faithful to do and say whatever he's telling you to do and say. That's success in the kingdom. It's faithfulness. Success in man's eyes is measured completely different than it is with God. Amen?
And I'll just echo what Dale and some others said, and Rusty, happy Mother's Day to those of you that are moms. Uh, we honor you. And the shield and sword and stuff just fell or something. I don't know what happened. So who threw a sword at me, by the way? Who threw that? So bless you, moms. Um, you know what? If it wasn't for moms, none of us would be here, right? Even though she kept me, even though she kept me trapped in darkness for nine months, I have no, I don't hold it against her at all. <laughs> but thank you, moms. Um, just a minute, I need a drink. And those of you that came out to my fundraiser event last night to see 2,000 Mules, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate that. Uh, those of you that are there, what would you think of the documentary? The rest of you that haven't seen it yet, you need to see it. And then you need to show it to your family and friends. Everybody needs to see it. Does anybody have anything that you've seen it and have anything to comment about it? We have proof. Well, that's the thing, you know, we, the more people that see it, the more we pressure our elected officials and, and just put pressure as we the people um, and, and try to do what we can to, you know, force um, investigation and force change. We're, we're the people. And part of the problem, too, has been that um, we shout out problems, but we don't bring any solutions to them. And we get angry and we get all upset and we know all of this stuff and then we stop. Or we just pray and we don't act. And I'm not minimizing prayer because prayer is absolutely important. I don't know. I don't know how... Yeah. Right, right. And then the movie, one, well, the thing I really liked about it was the video evidence. It's yeah. video evidence. It's, it's not a bunch of graphs on a screen and data. It's video proof that this happened. And the other thing is, is it, you know, they were just talking about mainly one aspect of the election. They weren't even talking about all the data and the stuff that was trapped, you know. So you can imagine what the real numbers really are. Anybody have any other thoughts, comments, that thought? Yeah, Steve. Yeah. 
I think what it surprised me a little bit, and I, I guess I just wasn't really aware of how, because my thought was when they showed all this geo-tracking and the tracking by cell phones, I was like, can anybody just buy that data and track you? Yeah, yeah. Just, just the phone, the, the, yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Amazing, huh? So I guess you don't really have to be concerned about a chip in your arm or something, your forehead. Because we already have it. Although I am very concerned about getting a programmable digital currency. That's, that's something that's very concerning. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, no, really, it's good. What's that? Oh, I didn't even get into that. That was nothing. Uh, you didn't even see my good move, huh? Okay, not this morning. Yeah, I didn't even break out the water sprinkler thing yet either. The shopping cart, the lawnmower, I got them all. I got them all. Yeah, <laughs> running man. Hey, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let's take a look at that. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You know, since you brought up, you know, knocking doors and talking with people, um, I remember, too, I, I was at this meeting and somebody, it was a ladies' meeting, and a, a lady introduced me to another lady. And she says, and Joe's running for Missouri State Senate District 8. And she goes, who are you running against? And I said, Mike Searpoy. Oh. And then the lady that was introduced and said, tell her a couple of his voting records. So I mentioned one thing, and this sweet old lady turned into a, a dragon, man. She was cursing and that blankety-blank has got to go. And I'm like, whoa. 
I think it was. I think it was. Uh, I think it was the men and women sports thing. I was like, that's it. <laughs> it was, that was her line. <laughs> no more. Yeah. And it is interesting, you know, uh, like for you know, with one door I was at, this guy's. You can tell I, the conversation. He was very well informed, but he pays no attention to state. And that that was me. I didn't pay attention to the state. I didn't pay attention to the the county at all. I just didn't even pay attention to it. And because I was always focused on, you know, the US, the federal level and um and all the time and I think that's that's a is a great scheme, right? Look over there, keep your focus over there, not pay attention to what's going on at home. And then when we have the things that we had with the mandates and all of that, it's like what's going on? You know, what what's really happening? Yes, bless you. Doubly bless you. Whatever that was. Romans chapter twelve, verse one. And two says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable and perfect. We've been talking about our souls, our mind, will, and emotion, um, really our whole being, spirit, soul, and body, but we've been specifically focused on the soul because our spirit gets brand, you know, when we receive Christ and we become born again, we have a brand new spirit. God breathes his DNA on the inside of us, but the other parts of our body are affected, but they're, well, the soul's affected, but not changed. And the soul being the mind, the will, and the emotions needs to be renewed. And this verse to me is very fascinating. We've talked about it a couple times because it links it links worship with renewing the mind. Did you see that? Present your bodies or your life, the totality of your life, as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship and don't be squeezed into the world's mold. How are you going to keep from that happening? By renewing your mind. Changing the way you think. Changing the way we think affects our emotions and it affects our will. Changing the way we think changes how we speak and it changes how we act. And the Scripture says this is spiritual worship. Now, have we ever thought about that in the past? That worship, worshiping the Lord, is changing the way we think? That's what the Scripture says, right? Am I screwing that up at all, or is that what it says? That's what it says. So renewing our mind is part of, it's a big part of our transformation process. The transformation process of becoming more like Christ, because God wants everybody to receive Christ, be born again, but we don't stop there. That's just our entrance into his family. That's our entrance into the kingdom. But from that point forward, he wants us to be sanctified, separated unto his holy purposes. And he wants to conform. Paul put it this way. I I labor until Christ is is um, formed within you. So he's not formed fully in us when we're born again, although we have the potential to be just like Christ. And 
in character and in deed and in words. Not to be Christ, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but to be like Him. Because we are His brother, even though He's our Lord and our Master. We came from the same Father, with the same DNA, the same family. We have all of the potential to be like Him in character. And so he's, He wants us to be formed like Christ. So changing the way we think will change the way we speak. It'll change the way we act. The warfare, if you could turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, spiritual, true biblical spiritual warfare begins right here. Here's the battlefield right between the ears, and it's the mind. It's the mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh or natural, we do live in this natural world. Anybody in this room not? <laughs> we, we have our feet on this natural ground. Everything's natural to us. It's, so walking in the natural, we do not war according to the natural. According to the laws of the natural, the way that people would warfare, we don't war that way. Well, if we don't war that way, then we must be, we are still warring, but how do we war? We don't war against according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, they're not natural. See, taking a pill could be natural, is, the, is natural. Learning and all of the things of the world, the, the way the world copes with things. You see, there's very little true healing in the world when we're talking about the soul. Actually, there isn't any. There's coping mechanisms. There's drugs. You see, when you have guilt and shame that is embedded into your soul, there's nothing that can fully cleanse that except the blood of Christ. And it's the blood of Christ that cleanses our conscience completely clean. That's answer to complete healing, not coping, not taking things, learning more different behaviors, or taking a drug to cope with it. We don't want to cope with it. We want to eradicate it so it's no longer part of us any longer. They're divinely powerful for the destruction of strongholds. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We're taking every thought captive, not just the sinful ones, not just the evil ones, not just the bad ones. Every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we're ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is complete. And we talked about last week that Paul, this, was, this is in the conversation he's having with the Corinthian uh, ecclesia there that he's taking up, he's making a collection, a financial collection. He's taking up financial financial collection. He did this with several different uh, ecclesias. And that collection was going to Jerusalem to help them, to help the saints there because they were struggling under persecution and things were hard. And the, the Corinthian ecclesia promised to give money, but they haven't done it yet. So that's why that last verse, we're ready to punish all disobedience until your obedience is complete. He's holding their feet to the fire. You said you were going to do this, so let's get it done. And in the midst of that, he's talking about spiritual warfare. Now, I find that interesting in spiritual warfare. This is not the message, but I'm just going to plug this. Spiritual warfare, when he ties it to finances. 
very interesting to me in the message of that. So, let's look at this passage a little bit more in depth than we did last week. So, we're walking in the natural. Yes, we walk in the natural. I love the way Dale says this, uh, if I don't mess it up, and I've kind of repeated this before. We are not natural beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a natural experience. For though we walk in the natural, we're not going to war according to the natural. Because the weapons of our warfare are not natural. They're divinely powerful. They're heaven's strategies. Kingdom powerful and authority for the destruction of strongholds. And as I mentioned last week, you'll notice that there's military terms here. So the word for strongholds or fortresses in the New American Standard, depending on how it's translated, is literally, not just to us, but it's literally um, a military term. That means a fortified place. A stronghold is a place of spiritual encampment for Satan and his demons to hide and be protected and to launch their assault on humans. A stronghold is a place, a spiritual place of encampment for the enemy to harass and to oppress the people of God. Really anybody, but I'm talking to a bunch of people of God, people this morning. But there's also another type of stronghold, and that's called the stronghold of the Lord. And so that's what we really want to do is obliterate all of these access points, if you will, strongholds that we have in our soul, and then be replaced by the stronghold of the Lord. Because that's a place of protection in the Lord. Jesus lived in the stronghold of the Lord. That's why when it wasn't his time, they couldn't touch him, where he could walk through the crowd. He lived there. So what could be examples of strongholds? Strongholds that are trapped in the soul. There's one major one. Unforgiveness, definitely. The major stronghold, I'll just tell you, is pride. It's pride. Pride is the self-life. Really, we can narrow all sin down to that. Sin, you know, sin's not our problem, right? You know that? It's already been dealt with on the cross. Sin, therefore, is just a symptom to a deeper issue. It's like when you start feeling body aches and the chills. That's not your problem. Those are symptoms to a problem that need to be dealt with. Sin's the same way. It's a barometer. Because it's all heart issue. And it all could be traced back to one thing, which is pride, which is the self-life. It's all about me. I'm, what, what's happening to me, how I think, how I want, what I want, what I, what's pleasing to me, the lust that I have. You guys are quiet this morning. So from pride is everything else. You see, if I'm really struggling with forgiveness, why would I be really struggling with forgiveness? It could be traced back to a pride, which is self. It's all about me, how I feel, the revenge I might want to 
launch out at? And how about just unbelief? That's a stronghold. How about fear? Boy, have we seen that in the last couple of years. Let me just take a side note, just because it's, it's been kind of strong in the media when Renee read that passage and she said the word panic. Panic. Did you know the word panic actually came from a false god called Pan? Do you know where, what Ecclesia, uh, not Ecclesia, but um, Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus had the conversation with his disciples that about what he was going to build as Ecclesia is in a place. Caesarea Philippi is, is called Panias because the false god Pan, where we get panic from, was one of the main gods that was worshipped there. And Jesus went right to that place of panic and said, this is where what we're going to do right here. We, we are going to build my governmental body, my Congress, my legislative assembly, my Supreme Court, my government of the kingdom of heaven right here on earth in this place, and we're going to take it over. One of the things that it reminds me of is since we're so ecclesia-minded here, and I, especially me, I am, that this, this is one of the enemy's um, uh, schemes that he will try to launch is panic, fear on the people of God. Because fear does what? Cripples. It cripples people. What's that? It does. It becomes irrational. It's, you're not trusting the Lord anymore. It's hard to hear the voice of God in that kind of condition. So unbelief, fear, guilt, shame, disobedience, human reasoning, all of these types of things are, are, are just examples, small examples of strongholds. What would be an effect of strongholds? The effect of strongholds. Bondage, depression, oppression, emotional roller coasters, up, down, in, out. An effect would be living in fear, discouragement. We, can't, we cannot forget this either. The spirit of Jezebel is alive and well in our nation and the globe. And that one of its main uh, um, emphasis is discouragement, pressure, and fear. Manipulation. I mean, to take a powerful man of God like Elijah... After doing what the, the, the amazing display, miracle, one moment, and put him running for fear of his life in the next, tells us the, the, the potential effect it can have on the believer. The same way with John the Baptist, because John the Baptist came as, as Elijah. And what did the spirit of Elijah want to do? Take his head off, and they did it. Effects of stronghold, depression, depression, confusion, constant relationship issues, drama. You just, uh, drama just circling all the time. It's always something, always something, always something drama. Sickness and disease. Now, it doesn't mean if you have a sickness or disease, this is it, but this could be um, an effect from it. Here's another really big one in the body of Christ, and it's called legalism. <laughs> legalism is um, it's a demonic stronghold that's cloaked in religion. 
to appear righteous. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They wanted to appear righteous. Oh, we gave it all. Yeah. Yeah. I brought Ananias and Sapphira over because their life didn't last much longer after that. It was over pretty quick. What would weapons of the natural be? So when we have these, these different strongholds, and we all have them to certain degrees, what would be a weapon of the natural, the weapon of the flesh? What would, when he says that our weapons are not of the natural, what, what, would those, what would some of those be, possibly? So the, the out, well, it's a, it would be, it would be, yeah, drugs would be one. It would be a weapon that we're trying to take care of that issue. So drugs would definitely be one. Alcohol, violence, what's that? Vaccination. Some, yeah, cigarettes, cigarettes. How about worldly knowledge, learning, street smarts, credentials, um, ability to, to, to smooth talk, status, position, money, medication. It's, it's what the world does in response to these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this, For the wisdom of this world is what? Foolishness. It's foolishness. Now, before I go much further, when we're talking about strongholds, I want everybody to hear this if you've not heard anything at all so far. As long as I've been a Christian and I've been in charismatic type circles, I've seen a lot of things just like all of you. I've heard a lot of things. And I'm narrowing it down to specifically with these type of issues. I've been involved in some of the things I'm going to probably mention here. But what I always want is what is the truth and what is scriptural? What does the Bible teach us? It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing, trying. It's what does the Bible say? How did Jesus do things? What did he say? What did he do? He's our, our example. So when we have these issues of the soul, and there's a variety of them, biblically speaking, how do we get cleansed and free from these things? Because here's a danger. Is when you go hunting for these things, The enemy will keep you so focused on self and keep you week in and week out and year in and year out trying to identify strongholds, taking us all the way back to our childhood. Something might have happened way back then. And get us so focused and so overworked and so that we forget what we're even here for. And I've seen people that have spent years and are still sending new tongue and lips today, working them out. 
years and still trying to get free. Now, I'm not making fun of because a lot of us have had things happen and all kinds of stuff. But what I'm trying to get at is what does the Bible say that will set us free from these things? Because what I've seen is ministries developed, I've seen programs developed, and I've seen all kinds of things that maybe have brought some kind of help at, to some point. But what, I'm, what does the Bible say? That's good. That ta- it says take every thought captive. Yes. Yep. What's that? Yeah. Mhm. What I'm trying to also do, I'm trying to do two things, okay? One is I want us to really see what the Scripture says. The other thing is, it is a lot more simple than you might think. We've made this so difficult. And we're, we're spending so much time and energy focused on self. You know, I, honestly, I was thinking of this the other day. One of the things I don't like about running for office is i got to talk about myself all the time. I don't like it. You got to put signs, big signs. You got your name on. You put your name out there everywhere. I don't like it. I just don't. I'd rather stand up here and talk about Jesus. <laughs> we like it, yeah. <laughs> that almost sounded like there was some rhythm to it. There was going to be a song. All right, so I, I want to close kind of early and let you celebrate with your moms today. Um, so turn to First Peter, uh, or, yeah, chapter one. Is everybody kind of understand? I, I might not have, have, have conveyed this as well, but I think we can stare at our own belly button way too much. All right, and and just what's wrong here? What's wrong there? And and, and, and then another thing is, is like, what's the devil up to here? And what's the devil doing? And how's he trying to attack? You know, Jesus didn't do any of that stuff. And he didn't teach it. And it's not even in the Scripture. That's the main thing. It's, it's not in the Scripture. But there are some very simple things. Now, these simple things doesn't mean it happens overnight. It's a, it can be a journey. But look at this in First Peter. There's two Scriptures I want to look at in the same chapter, chapter 1. Look at verse 9, and verse 9 is like in the middle of a sentence. It says, obtaining 
as the outcome of your faith, the saving of your soul. So how does the soul get saved according to this passage? By faith. What is faith? It's having trust and confidence in God. If you're going to have trust and confidence in God, what does that mean? How does that play out? That means you're going to say what he says to say. You're going to do what he's showing you to do. That's faith. Listen to this. What I just explained naturally has nothing to do with the salvation of your soul. But biblically, it has everything to do with the salvation of your soul. Because that's what it says. You'll obtain as the outcome of your faith, which means you are obeying and trusting God, the salvation of your soul. Your soul can be cleansed and saved without you focusing on it. By doing this. Look at this next passage. Verse 22. Since you have an obedience to the truth. What is obeying truth? It's the same thing as having faith. He just reworded it. If I say trust God, it means obey Him. Same thing. If I say have faith in God, it means obey God. It's the same. It's just the, the same. You're saying the same thing, just using different words. So he's saying the same thing. Since you have an obedience to the truth. Who's the truth? The truth is not just some static thing here. The truth is Jesus. So since you have an obedience to Christ, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Did you catch that? Obedience to the truth purifies the soul, the mind, will, and the emotion. You weren't even focused on your stronghold. You know what? We don't even know all the strongholds we have anyway. Yeah, who wants to know? The Scripture tells us if we would just trust God, do what He's telling us to do, follow Him, be obedient to Him, and our obedience purifies our mind, will, and emotions without you working on it. Is that beautiful? See how simple that is? Same thing. You, you, exactly. You, you cannot have faith without obedience. Because they're the same thing. Obeying God. Doing what He says. Now we've read and we've been focused on 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And he said in that passage, take every thought captive. You know what that also means? You have authority over your mind. You determine what you think about and what you don't think about. Have you ever really practiced it? You don't have to answer. Maybe some crazy thought comes into your mind. And you just take authority over it, right? I mean, when I say authority, I'm not saying that you, know, you start speaking in tongues and dance around the house. I'm saying you, you just take control and you forcefully change your thoughts. I've done it so many different times. It's amazing how, I, matter of fact, within minutes, I forgot what I was thinking about. I forgot what came into my mind. Because I, I took control of, it's my mind. 
is mine. God gave it to me, and he gave me the authority over it to determine what I'm going to think about and what I'm not going to think about. What I'm going to focus on and what I'm not going to focus on. It's not the enemy's playground. It's mine. So if he kinds of brings thoughts like he did with Jesus in the wilderness, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? It's written. He spoke the truth. So in other words, he, take, he took that thought that came. I don't know about you. When I first read this, you know, when I was first a Christian, you know, I thought, well, the devil showed up in, in devil form, you know, in the natural, and they're having a conversation with Jesus. No, he didn't. He showed up just like he shows up with us. He showed up just like he showed up in the garden. You know how he showed up in the garden? By something beautifully created by God that we call a serpent. Because he comes how? As an angel of light. He comes as... Why? Because he's a deceiver. That's his name. (laughs) He comes to deceive, to appear truthful, appear righteous, appear holy, to appear as a God-given angel. And a way he does that with us, a major way, is he comes with these thoughts. Where, if we're not trained, it's difficult to tell whether they're our own thoughts or God speaking to us. That's why we've got, to, we've got to take control of our mind, every thought that comes. And it's not that much work. It's just a discipline. Which is the root word of disciple, by the way. A disciple is a disciplined one. It's not just one that goes to church and carries a Bible and prays from time to time. That's not a disciple. A disciple is a learner and follower of Jesus. Everywhere he goes. Not just the place you want to follow. He's one who learns from God, from Christ. Not just by the things he says, but the things he does. How he acts, how he interacts. You know, we learn, I think, a lot more by by watching. You know, kids learn how they their parents interact and deal with people and one another and all of these things more than by what they just say. Especially if by what how they act and what they say are opposed to one another. So we don't need to go around trying to, our best to identify strongholds. On top of that, we have the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit in our friends and in our congregation among others. That when we're so blinded to certain things, He will bring to the surface. Because that's just the kind of guy He is. He wants our complete and total healing in every area. And the people that get free are the people that are humble to receive instruction, to receive from the Lord. You know, it is not an easy thing to believe something for so long. For years, and then to find out what you are believing has been a lie. And then change from that lie. That's, that's a difficult thing. Some people never do it. They just never do it, and they live with it for the rest of their life. Proverbs 10:29. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright. Isn't that beautiful? But it's the ruin to the workers of iniquity. So a fortress is a military term for a fortified place. I don't know about you, but if the enemy has fortified places in my soul, it makes me angry. 
because I don't want any access. I got enough issues with Joe. I don't need him messing around. <laughs> Fortresses or strongholds exist as thought patterns, human reasonings, values. We all have values. We may not know what they are, but we can tell what they are. You can do a real good check. You can find out if you're not sure what you value. You can look at your checkbook. You can look at your calendar. Where we spend money and where we spend our time tells us what we value pretty easy way to to begin to find out what it, what do we really value because see to become a true follower of Christ the devoted one a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ that means there's a values conversion we convert our values and we receive his values what's the most important thing to him We can tell by the things he talked about and the things he did. Do we value what he values? You see, our values, I'll close with this. We have core values. You know, corporations have core values. Businesses have core values. And it's it's what goes out to all of their employees. This is this is what we're going to this is who we're about. And I'll just use a, a generic one. Customers come first. All right. I know that's not absolutely true in all businesses, but let's, the customer comes for that's a value. So those core values are central to our heart's motivation, which means everything that we do now in this business is going to be about the customer. Because why? Customer comes first. So we're going to develop customer service, and it's going to be excellent, and we're going to take care of our customers, and if they have complaints, we're going to take care of them. So why? Because we have a core value, customers come first. Every one of us has core values. Every one of us. These core values, they could be one, two, maybe at the most three, but every one of us has a, a, a at least one core value. That core value drives you. You may not even be aware of it. It determines the decisions you make, how you talk, and what you do with your life, your money, and everything else. And you might not even be aware of it. And we all have ancillary values. So there's core values and there's values. And it's interesting to identify. I don't, you know, Renee and I did this before too. It's like, what, from your perspective, what do you think I value? Because it's always by what we talk about, what we do, what we spend money, what we spend time on. That proves really what our values are. See, um, his name just escapes. Uh, Pilate, Pontius Pilate. I always, almost always use him because he's a great illustration of core values. Pontius Pilate, Jesus... Jesus, I think, had, what, six or seven trials before he was crucified. And one of those was before Pontius Pilate. The night prior, Pontius Pilate's wife had a dream that Jesus was innocent. That dream was relayed to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate uh, interrogates Jesus and finds absolutely no reason whatsoever of any guilt. Right? Am I right so far? 
ceremonially, he goes over and he washes his hands. You all go take care of this, telling the Jews, take care of this yourself. He knew Jesus was innocent. Dreamed to his wife. He knows it is in his own heart. Says it from his own mouth. See, you'll really notice politicians with this one. Because we can hear a lot of stuff. They, people can say a lot of the right things. But show me your voting record. Show me what you're doing. Pontius Pilate said all the right things. He's not in it. He's not guilty. He is innocent. He is not worthy of crucifixion. He definitely could have stopped it. Absolutely. Because, see, the Jews, the reason why, see, the Jews were in control of their own, uh, of all the Jews. The, the Pharisees and uh, were, were the government. They're the ones that arrested. But, see, they, they could not crucify. That was the issue. They, they threw Jesus in prison. They put him in, uh, in the prison. We got to go in it when we were in, in Israel. They, the prison was under the high priest's house. The prison they put Jesus in when they arrested him. The reason why they took the Romans is because they wanted to kill him by crucifixion. And they didn't have the authority, they had, but Rome had the authority. So that's why they got Rome involved and arrested Jesus. And so now Pontius Pilate being a Roman, he was the governor of the area. Yes, he could have stopped it. And that's really my point, because he knew Jesus was innocent. His wife has a dream. He confesses it. He ceremonially washes his hands, but he still has Jesus flogged, and he still had him nailed to the cross. You know why? Because he had a core value. And it's, it's a similar core value every human being has to deal with at some point. And it's this. It's very simple. It's self-preservation. There was such an uproar going on in Jerusalem. Jesus was causing problems. There was others causing problems. And he wanted peace. And he was under threat from his, his higher ups. Keep the peace. And that's why he did it. He was saving his own skin. Even though he knew Jesus was innocent. And you'll see examples of this through Scripture. Because it's not what people know. It's not what, how people feel. It's not what people say. It's the core value that's driving their decisions. And their actions. And every one of us has a core value. Look at what happened just two years ago. We can say, Lord, I'll do anything for you. I'll go anywhere for you. What did, Paul, what did Peter say? He said the same thing, right? I'll, I'll go to the cross with you, basically. Paraphrase. I'll do anything. And Jesus turned to him and said, what did he say to, P, uh, to Peter? Peter, I'm going to paraphrase. I know you mean that. It's coming out of your mouth. But your words. He said, because before this night's over, you're going to deny me three times before the crow even crows. The, cro the cock crows. Because Jesus knew his heart. He couldn't follow through with what he was saying. Peter wanted to. But Peter also was dealing with the same core value, and that's called self-preservation. You see, every one of us has a line. We can say all kinds of things, but when it comes to, hey, you've got to close down your church. Oh, okay. No problem. Now, what are you going to do when you're standing in front of persecution? 
or shut this down or shut, stop this or wear that or get this needle in your arm. You see, we say all of the right things, right? And I'm not just talking about our congregation. I'm talking about Christians. But when the time comes, what are we going to do? And it's the core value in your heart that's going to make that decision. Not the words that's come out of your mouth, unless they match your core value. Know what? Exactly right. That's why we have to die to self prior to this situation. Paul said it this way, I die daily. See, crucifixion was a one-time event for Jesus. It's a daily event for us. Romans 12.1, we'll go back to that where we started. A living sacrifice. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, we get our values from our culture, from our family, from church culture, from groups that we're a part of. We get them. This is a huge topic. We get our... You know, when I first started taking uh, teenagers internationally on trips, this was very, very apparent because when you go to a, especially a third world nation, they don't do things like we do. They don't. They don't eat things like we eat. I mean, even when you're watching building construction, it's just like, what are you guys doing? Like, it's just bizarre. No, it's not necessarily wrong. It's just their way. But we have these cultural things that are so inbred, we're not, even, we're not even aware of their culture. We just think all humans have these. No, they don't necessarily. The, the way we do things and, and interact and buy and sell and all of these things, there's, they're done differently sometimes in other countries. And there's nothing, that's why the Bible gets confusing for people because it comes out through culture. Culture, God loves all kinds of different cultures, a variety of cultures. Culture is not kingdom. We're not to adapt necessarily to any one kingdom or uh, culture. We're to adapt all cultures to kingdom and have that variety of mix, if that's explainable or understandable. So these core values, this, this is kind of what we're, we're talking about, is what, what's in us, what's driving us. These core values are really our motivation and that will drive us. They're the motor that moves us. Amen. Yep. It is. It is. And and then again, the, the word of God, the obedience and faith does the work of our soul. It, it's, it's so simple. I mean, I, I don't know how you can write a book on that because it's so simple. Obedience, faith in God, and obedience to the truth, to the word. You know, when we're focused, when we're focused on self, guess what our mind's going to be filled with? Self. We're focused on the devil. We're focused on the problem all of the time. That's where our mind is. That's where our mindset, our focus. We're actually training our mind when we're doing that all of the time to be focused on that junk instead of focused on Christ, His Word. 
and receiving His healing in the process. It's not even really praying and asking for His healing. It's just being obedient to what the Scripture says. In that process, you are being cleansed, purified, and healed. It's just an amazing thing to me. Praise the God. Father, we just thank You so much for You and Your Word. And thank You that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And now, Father, we've received Him and He's in us. Your Word, Your Logos, the statement of God. We bless You, Father. We thank You so much, Lord. Is there anybody in here that needs healing physically or for any other area of your life? You would like somebody to pray with you or pray over you before we dismiss this morning? Glory be to God. Father, thank You for this congregation. Lord, I just thank You so much. They have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. They have eyes to see what the Spirit is doing. Father, I pray that they would have the boldness and the courage to walk it out every day in the midst of a perverse and crooked world, in the midst of persecution and trial, that through all persecution and all trial and all trouble, we have the the opportunity to become more like You, which makes it all worth it, Father. Thank You so much. Bless them like only You can. Father, again, we just bless the moms that this be a special day for them. Peace and rest to their souls. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you, guys. Blessings to each of you.